Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I'm not sure how Eric found this story because I have in my hand the actual opinion and order from a case. So the court ruled on something, and I never saw the story pop up in the news, but it's a, a fascinating case out of Florida. And it's very, very sad what happened to this couple. But the court is saying, look, the way the laws are written, there's not much more we can do here. So the case is Dennis and Suzanne Gomez versus the United States of America. And it arises from a tax dispute, a tax dispute. So the matter is before the court on a motion for summary judgment filed by the uh, government. Plaintiffs filed their response in opposition. Uh, Government filed a reply. And now the court finds and rules as follows. And the facts of the case are undisputed and disturbing. That's what the court says. The court says this case is... I got facts that are undisputed, but disturbing. The plaintiffs are a couple. I'm going to refer to them as the couple going forward. They're elderly. They worked their entire lives to build sufficient savings to comfortably retire. And they did so in 2016. Their peaceful retirement ended when uh, one, of their, uh, one of the couple's daughter engaged in a complex scheme to defraud the plaintiffs stealing their savings. The web of never-ending lies spun by the daughter over the course of two years left the family in disbelief and nearly destitute. She stole nearly $2 million from the couple, including more than $600,000 in one year alone. Now, she is in prison for 25 years where she belongs. The court wrote that. (laughs) She's in prison where she belongs. But this case is not about her fraud. It is about whether the victims of the fraud are required to pay federal income tax on the money that she stole from them. And the court writes, astonishingly, for the reasons explained below, they are. And so the court is even shocked by this outcome, but the court says, look, here's what the law says. I've got to follow the law. So it starts out with, telling the story about how the couple came into all this money. And they were owners and operators of a company which they had inherited that sold pet food over, I believe, the Internet. And there's pages and pages and pages explaining how this all happened to where they wanted to retire, they wanted to sell the business, and then they got involved with this daughter who was involved in a scheme. The scheme ran deep. And the daughter forged numerous legal and business documents to perpetuate her fraud. For instance, on one occasion, um, the couple received settlements from TD Bank and Bank of America in the amounts of $7,000 and $17,000. And the daughter created a fake email address and began communicating with the plaintiffs. uh, And she managed to intercept money and so on. And at one point in time, This daughter even created a fake lawsuit and claimed that she needed money to defend herself from this fake lawsuit. And so the plaintiffs authorized and completed numerous transactions from their IRA, totaling $1.1 million, and handed many of the proceeds to the daughter. They entrusted the daughter with tens and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars 
And she was lying to them about what she was doing with the money. Okay, I'm summarizing. At most, plaintiffs handed the daughter $726,000 throughout 2017. Uh, And there were all kinds of things that they gave the daughter that the daughter claimed were expenses that were necessary for either running the business or defending herself from lawsuits and so on. And so the daughter never accessed the accounts herself. That's important. She accepted the funds that the plaintiffs gave to her on more than 100 occasions. So on August 30th, 2019, plaintiffs, that's the couple, met with six friends who informed them of the scam. Two of the friends reached out to an attorney who was allegedly working on the case who confirmed that neither the couple nor the daughter were clients of his, and he was not associated with an email address that they'd been communicating with. And so they then discovered that the whole thing was a fraud perpetrated on them by the daughter. So they met with officers of the police department, which began investigating the daughter. They subsequently arrested her on multiple theft and fraud charges. She pled guilty to seven counts in 2022, and uh, she went to prison, as the judge noted, where she belongs. She was sentenced to a total of 25 years in Florida State Prison, followed by five years of probation. And, uh, of course, that's all some very, very serious stuff. So now we get down to how taxable is that money? Because that's what this case is about. It's not about the daughter. She's in prison. Her case is over. But on May 14th, 2018, plaintiffs filed a federal individual income tax return for the 2017 tax year with the IRS. The return showed taxable income of $1.1 million, which included $1.1 million in pension and IRA distributions, a tax liability of $410,000, and payments totaling $412,000. The IRS assessed a penalty for not prepaying the tax. After the penalty, the IRS issued plaintiffs a refund for their overpayment in the amount of $659.86. Plaintiffs ended up reporting and paying $411,000 in income tax for the 2017 tax year. I'm not going to get into whether or not those tax rates are appropriate. That's not the point. <laughs> On February 24th of 2020, plaintiffs filed an amended return for the 2017 year. On the amended return, plaintiffs sought a refund of income and the penalty, adding up to $412,259 plus interest. They sought to deduct from the income the $1.1 million they received from their IRA and pension accounts. That is money that they gave to the daughter. Along with the amended return, plaintiffs sent a copy of a Form 1096 that showed that plaintiffs issued the daughter a 1099 MISC in the amount of $1.1 million and a statement that indicated that the distributions were used to pay expenses such as fictitious invoices, fake attorney fees, and other fraudulent mechanisms used by the daughter. So they took the money out of the IRAs. They gave it to the daughter, and they're telling the IRS, well, the money that we took out is not income because we gave it to the daughter to pay fake invoices, fake attorney fees, and other fraudulent mechanisms. And the question is, can you deduct fictitious invoices, fake attorney fees, and other fraudulent mechanisms used by someone else? And as you can imagine, the IRS says no. 
So on February 17th, 2021, the IRS disallowed plaintiff's claim for a refund, stating in a letter that these distributions were not deductible and must be included in income. Uh, on March 19th of 2021, plaintiffs filed a formal protest and request for appeals, which further detailed the business nature of the expenses, but the IRS rejected the appeal. So the plaintiffs filed this lawsuit in an attempt to get a court to step in and make a ruling on this. Now, the court goes through a bunch of stuff about legal standards and so on, but points out that according to case law, deductions that you take on your taxes are a matter of legislative grace and a taxpayer must prove his or her entitlement to a deduction. It is undisputed that plaintiffs are the victims of theft. Historically, victims of theft were, were entitled to deduct a theft loss in the year the theft was discovered. However, Congress suspended the theft loss deduction the 2018 through 2025 tax years. So if this had happened earlier and had caught it earlier, they may have had a case. Because they cannot claim a theft deduction for 2019, plaintiffs attempt to salvage a tax benefit from their immense losses by seeking a refund of their 2017 income taxes under two other theories, because they're not saying it's theft, they're saying it's fictitious invoices and fake lawyer fees. So... The year, by the way, that the loss was discovered was 2019, so that's why we're here. So first, plaintiffs claim that the IRA distributions and pension benefits they received in 2017 should be excluded from their income because they did not enjoy the benefit of those funds. And they say that the daughter enjoyed the benefits because she stole the stuff through the scheme. Well, the applicable statute provides that any amount paid or distributed out of an individual retirement plan shall be included in gross income by the payee or distributee, as the case may be, in the manner provided. Generally, the taxable distributee or payee of a distribution is the participant or beneficiary who, under the plan, is entitled to receive the distribution. Now, some courts have recognized an exception that the taxable distributee under the statute may be someone other than the recipient, but in this case, plaintiffs are the taxable distributees despite their attempts to characterize the daughter as such. Plaintiffs authorized and directed each stock sale from the IRA and each wire transfer to the personal son trust account. They freely exercised their discretion over the expenses paid from those accounts, including their personal expenses and the handouts to the daughter. Plaintiff's case is readily distinguishable from others, uh, in that one, the taxpayer's ex-wife signed withdrawal requests and received and endorsed the IRA checks without the taxpayer's authorization forging signatures. Here, the daughter did not do that. So unfortunately for plaintiffs, because they were the ones who requested and received the distributions, they are the payees or distributees within the meaning of the code. Anderson's subsequent theft does not change plaintiffs' status as distributees. So the IRA distributions and pension funds are not deductible. As such, the U.S.'s motion for summary judgment is granted on that ground. Meanwhile, they say, well, these are business expenses because they went to pay fake invoices and fake attorney fees. Well, <laughs> um, they say that they were led to believe these are real expenses. 
Taxpayers may deduct ordinary and necessary expenses paid or incurred during the taxable year in carrying on any trade or business. To be deductible, a business expense requires the taxpayer to have a dominant hope and intent of realizing a profit. And there must exist a minimal relationship between the expense and the advancement of the taxpayer's business. Ordinary and necessary business expenses may include legal fees paid for legal services. Regardless of how plaintiffs believed the funds would be used, none of the money given to the daughter was used to pay any actual business expenses. It is important to note that in 2017, plaintiffs were not engaged in any for-profit business activity because they had retired. Consequently, it is impossible to claim a relationship between the funds that plaintiffs gave to their daughter and the advancement of a business they had permanently closed. Now, plaintiffs argue their payments to the daughter were related to business because they believed the daughter used the money to pay legal fees, uh, and they are also possibly related to the past operation of the business that they had owned. However, plaintiffs' subjective belief based on the daughter's fraudulent conduct does not establish that legal fees were ever paid. In addition, any purported legal fees did not have any business origin and character. The purported legal expenses did not arise in connection with any income-producing activities because the businesses were closed and plaintiffs were retired at the time. So the court has a lot of sympathy for the couple. Plaintiffs were the undisputed victims of a complicated theft spanning around two years, resulting in the loss of nearly $2 million. The thief was a daughter of one of them and the stepdaughter of the other, was rightly convicted and is serving a lengthy prison sentence. The fact that these elderly plaintiffs are now required to pay tax on money that was stolen seems unjust, seems unjust. But the court points out that the law says, unfortunately, that's the way it works. And so if you want to simplify the entire transaction, think of it this way. There's the daughter, there's the couple, and there's the money sitting in an IRA. Okay? So the couple goes to the bank and says, withdraw the money from the IRA. That comes in, and normally they'd pay taxes on that because that's when you pay taxes on that. They then take the money and give it to their daughter for what they believe to be a business purpose. And the IRS and the governor are basically saying, it doesn't matter what happened here. The fact of the matter is that you're the one who got it here, and when you got it, it was income. It's taxable at that point. The fact that you gave it to somebody and they had a reason or a purported reason or an excuse doesn't matter. The fact is that at this moment in time, in this transaction, it's taxable. So it's a crazy case, and it's unfortunate that these things happen. We hear stories about people being ripped off on the internet, but it's less common, but it does happen, where people are ripped off by people they know, relatives and so on. And that's the really sad part about this. The daughter went to prison, and she's there, and she'll be there for a long, long time, as the court says, where she belongs. But what does that do for the couple who had to, you know, suffer all of these losses here? And apparently uh, the IRS is one of the contributors to uh, their tale of woe. So it's very, very sad. But Dennis and Suzanne Gomez, G-O-M-A-S, U.S. District Court, Middle District of Florida, Tampa Division. uh, And that's the actual opinion and order. But the court says, even though it's a sad, sad story, Can't help you here. The IRS and the U.S. government are actually right on this one. Questions or comments, put them below. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Is there another word for synonym?